0: With this thought, kind of reminds me of where we're going in this passage. I was open your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. I know a number of you are here for the first time, and you won't be back. You're not coming back from Orange, Texas for next week, but if you're interested in the series of Luke, you can find it on the internet under gardencitychapel.com there's a podcast there if you want to go back and pick up some of the sermons from luke and uh into the future There now the ones in the future aren't there yet you're gonna to have to wait until the sunday they get preached and normally by about tuesday uh, we have them up on the internet for you and i say we there's people that are a lot smarter than i am that put that stuff up because i don't understand it but um encourage you to to be a part of that out of the gospel of luke this this morning the the sermon title is putting you in your place and there are some people that are really good at putting you in their place in your place Uh, especially for preachers there's people I think they're they feel like their spiritual calling is I got to put that pastor in his place well have you ever been put in your place I was doing a camp or speaking at a camp uh, up right outside of Chattanooga Tennessee and uh, God kind of taught me this lesson about uh, being put in your place uh, and reminded me of who I really am Uh, I was speaking at a place called Covenant College, and there was another camp meeting there the same time that this camp that I was speaking at was, and it just so happened that their speaker was a guy that I was in seminary with. His name's Rick Stanley, and he happens to be the stepbrother of Elvis Presley. Well, he had his mother with him, his his mother, which was Elvis's stepmother. Are you following me? And so some of the girls decided, we're going to go talk to Elvis Presley's stepmother. So they went over there, and I didn't hear the conversation, but they came back and said, basically that woman needs to be put in her place. And the youth pastor and I were standing there talking, and I said, well, what do you mean? And they said, she said she's richer than the Lord. Well, obviously they'd gone over, you're Elvis Presley's stepmother, you must be rich. Well, she has a foreign accent. And these these girls heard her say, I'm richer than the Lord. Fortunately, one of the other adult youth leaders was there and said, that's not what she said. She said, I'm rich in the Lord. I said, that makes a big difference she knew her place. (laughs) Then I'm standing there talking to the youth pastor. He's actually seated at this table. We're having dinner, and I'm standing beside him. This girl walks up with a camera, and she said, do you mind? And I thought, no, that'd be fine. So I turned around for her to take our picture. She said, no, would you please move? I'm trying to get their picture. (laughs) See, just when you're starting to feel kind of special that, oh, she wants my picture, you know, how often is that going to happen? Take advantage of it. She just wanted me to move. Well, Sometimes we need to be put in our place, and and this passage does this. And I hope you're asking the question this morning before the passage ends, before the sermon ends, and that is, okay, so where's my place? Because Jesus answers that question. Let's look at the first few verses of this passage, Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. And as he told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt, two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I pay tithes on all that I get. Let's just stop right there and look at this first person that we see, this uh, self-righteous one. Who Jesus is talking about. Now, he's in this section of Luke, and Luke, there are a lot of parables. In fact, we really see him turn a corner in the early chapters of Luke from where he's just teaching sermons like the Sermon on the Mount to where now, as he travels, he teaches parables. And some of them, the disciples would come up to him and say, What did that mean? We didn't get it. And Jesus says, Well, I'm teaching this so that you who are supposed to understand will, but there's some that have already closed their ears to the gospel. They're not going to get it. And yet Jesus is talking about some of the very people listening to him right now. He's talking about, in this first part, the Pharisees. And did you notice how he described them? These are people who are trusting in themselves. To trust in means to convince by argument, in this case. And so they've done the argument in their own mind, and they're basically saying, I'm trusting in myself, in my own works. I'm good enough. God's lucky to have me. That's kind of the attitude of this Pharisee. Now, two men go up to pray. The first one is the Pharisee. They were righteous, or they considered themselves righteous only in themselves. And that wasn't bad enough. It wasn't bad enough that they basically pointed the finger at themselves and said, I've got it all together, I'm righteous, God's lucky to have me. They viewed everybody else with contempt. Anybody else that didn't do it the way they did it, that weren't following the same set of rules that they followed, they viewed with contempt. Literally, the word means to make nothing of. It means that they looked at these people and basically said, you are a nothing. You're a big zero. Now, the Pharisees, a couple of things you need to know about Pharisees. They kept the rules. They thought somehow by keeping a list of rules and keeping them well, that they were going to gain favor in God's sight. And if you'd asked a Pharisee, are you going to heaven? Their answer would have been, absolutely. In fact, we're pretty sure God can't get along without us in heaven. And if you'd said, then why are you going to heaven? They would have said, well, first of all, I'm a descendant of Abraham. I'm a Jew. I'm in the family. And secondly, well, I've kept the law. Just look at my life. How would you like to look at my resume? I'll send you a copy. Second thing is, these Pharisees ran in circles where all they were hearing about Jesus was condemnation and ridicule. And they had already made up their minds that what he had to say really could not possibly apply to them. And anything he said that was pointed at them, they could dismiss because they were righteous. only problem is they were righteous in their own eyes. These were the people that Jesus talked about. If you've got your Bibles in Luke, look look over at chapter 11, verse 39. Look what Jesus specifically says to the Pharisees, just to give you a sense of Jesus' teaching. In Luke 11, verse 39, he says, Now, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but inside of you, you are full of robbery and wickedness. You ever known people like that, that all they were really concerned about is what they look like on the outside? And Jesus says, yeah, you've cleaned up the outside, you've done well. The only problem is what's inside is putrid. It's rotting, it's decaying. And it won't be long before it will eat up the body and destroy even what's outside. While he's praying, there's a tax collector standing over there. But let's, let's look at what he prayed. It's interesting that it says he prayed to himself. You know, at first glance, you would think, well, what good's that going to do? He's praying to himself. But what it probably means is simply that he was standing off by himself. And I would imagine this Pharisee had positioned himself as close as he could get to the Holy of Holies, which represented the presence of God. And he probably felt, I'm worthy to go behind the veil, but I won't break the law. I'll just stay as close as I can. So I believe this guy's as close as he can be, and he's standing. Now, don't make a whole lot out of the fact he was standing. That was kind of the prescribed form of prayer. So he's standing, but he's praying this to himself. And about the only thing he mentions God here is just to say, God, thank you that I'm not like other people. <laughs> this guy had done the spiritual comparison game, and he stacked up on his scale pretty well. Have you ever done that? you ever compared yourself to other people spiritually? Or maybe in other ways. Maybe, you know, you're at the gym and you're kind of thinking, I can make more baskets than they can or I can lift more weights than they can. I remember doing spiritual comparison games at church, and I used to think the people that looked the most miserable had to be the most godly. And then I started reading verses about the fact that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and so on. And I found out those people weren't godly. They were just miserable people. And their goal in life was to make everybody else miserable. So this guy had done the spiritual comparison games and he had said, thank you, God, I'm not like other people. I'm not a swindler. I'm not unjust. This one really cracks me up. And I'm not like this tax collector. In the middle of his prayer, he sees this tax collector, as we find out later, standing far away from him. I don't blame him. But he basically says, God, thank you that I am who I am. Thank you, I'm not like these people that are bad people. Thank you, I'm not like this tax collector. And then he gives his resume. I fast twice a week. Now, for a Jew, there was one day that you were commanded to to fast. That was Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. But for the most religious Jews, they fasted twice a week, on the second and fifth day of the week. And I thought, okay, you fast twice a week. I started doing the math on that. Well, like, what if you fasted the whole week? Did that only count once? And if you fasted twice a week, and I'm thinking, I fast three times a day. Right after breakfast, right after lunch, and right after supper. You know, how does that how's that fit, Mr. Pharisee? I fast twice a week. And then I pay tithes on all I get. Now, the Bible had prescribed fasting. The Bible had also prescribed tithing. But this guy's basically saying, as soon as I get it, I'm writing my check. Have you noticed that, God? Do I need to remind you of that? That's what he's basically doing. God... Have you looked at my resume lately? Well, have you ever met people like that? I tried to think about what a Pharisees look like today? Now, don't raise your hand. Anybody ever been guilty of being a Pharisee? I have. Yeah. There's been a lot of times that I've looked at other people with disdain and I've kind of puffed myself up and thought, you know, God, look at me. The problem for this guy was, He was a long ways down the road towards something. It's just he was on the wrong road. It's kind of like the airline pilot that comes on the speaker talking to people in the back, and he says, Well, I got some good news and some bad news. The bad news is all of our instruments are out, the gauges are out. We have no idea where we are. We're lost. The good news is we're making really good time. That's what this guy, that was the story of this guy's life. I'm way down the road. But where he thought it ended was with God, it was not. Let me give you some examples of, this is going to get scary. I'm not talking about people in this room today. Now, this is in churches far, far away. Some comments that I've heard of Pharisee happenings. One, if you've ever heard this comment, well, that won't ever happen in my church. You know, I want to say, well, is it your church? Really, it's got your name on it? I thought it was Jesus' church. Story I heard about a pastor in California that they lived. They were having a church real near the ocean. This was in California. They were having a problem. Some surfers were coming to their church. They were just leaving their, you know, bringing their surfboards, stacking them out in front of church, coming in barefooted to church. Some of the Pharisees in that church came to him and said, "Pastor, we don't like it that these surfers are coming here with dirty feet on Sunday morning. We expect you to do something about it." Pastor said, "I'm on it. I'll take care of it. it won't ever happen again." The next Sunday, the Pharisee showed up to see what the pastor was going to do. He showed up with a towel wrapped around his waist and a basin of water and washed their feet. Second one, this actually happened in a church that I was youth pastor at. man stood up. We were talking about an outreach program. And he said, I joined this church because it was a small country church. And I, de- I am declared that I want to keep it that way. Wow. Again, that's, this is my church. If you don't do it my way, I'm taking my ball and going home. Now, the good news is that church didn't listen to him. Back in those days, we thought it was a big day when 100 people showed up. This was a church in Highland Village, Texas. That church today has seven services, I think, on the weekend. Thousands of people come. It's called the Village Church in Highland Village, Texas. I'm glad that guy didn't get his way. They reached out to the community. How about this one? If you don't do things the way I want them done, I'm leaving. I served a church as youth pastor where a group of people told the pastor that. And I thought, I was young in the ministry, I thought, man, what do you do when 17 people came to him and said, if you don't do things the way we want them done, we're leaving. The next Sunday, the pastor preached a message, literally, this was the title of the message, The Blessed Deduction. <laughs> I thought, wow, that's pretty bold. The sweetest lady in the church who was the, the greeter out in the lobby, her name was Thelma. Thelma had never said a bad word about anybody or to anybody. She was the nicest person you'd ever want to meet. She was probably 80 years old. After about four or five weeks, this group had pulled out of the church. She came to me one day and she said, Robert, you don't think they'll come back, do you? I thought, Thelma, <laughs> I can't believe you said what I was thinking. kind of like the man on the deserted island, this man on a desert island, been there 20 years, finally was rescued. The rescue group comes and meets him, and they said, you've lived here 20 years. Show us around the island a little bit. And they said, what's that building over there? He said, well, that's my church. That's where I go to church. After walking around a little bit, they said, well, what's that building over there? He said, that's where I used to go. (laughs) This guy was the only member, and he was making himself mad. Listen, this Pharisee, This Pharisee's hope was based in two things. Number one, that I'm good enough and that I'm better than everybody else. It's as if he's going to get to heaven and God's going to say, why should I let you in? And he's going to say, well, you let him in. Look at my resume. Folks, it isn't about how good you are. It isn't about you being good enough. Let's look at the second guy. Let's look at the one described as the sinner. This other man was humble. Let me read just verses 13 and 14. He says, But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And listen to what Jesus says. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. This guy, Pharisee, I think, just close as he can get to the Holy of Holies. This guy's standing just inside the door. He's at the temple to pray. But he feels unworthy to even stand over where the other guy's standing. He feels unworthy to even lift his eyes in prayer. He's just staring at the floor and he's beating his breast. In fact, it's a word for continuous action. The whole time he's praying, he's just hitting his chest. He's thumping his chest. And he says this, be merciful to me. The one guy is giving his resume. The other guy is acknowledging, I am unworthy, God, to even be in your presence. I'm unworthy to even ask this. All I can ask for is mercy. What does mercy mean? Mercy means not getting what you deserve. What did both these guys deserve? What does the Bible say? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Then later in Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is what? Death. They both deserve death. Now, the rest of Romans 6.23 says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This guy over here, the Pharisee, he didn't get it. If he was going to get into heaven, it was going to be on his efforts. Look at me, folks. None of you in this room, including myself, will get into heaven based on our efforts. In fact, nobody ever did. Or ever will. This guy over here gets it. He can't come in and say, Jesus, this is what I've done for you, or Jesus, this is what I can do for you. He simply says, I beg for mercy. I don't deserve it. I beg for something I don't deserve. I beg for mercy. Be merciful to me, the sinner. Not just, I'm a sinner, God. This guy's attitude was, I'm the sinner. Look up sinner in the dictionary. There's my picture. This guy's saying if there ever was a sinner can, you know, born, I'm him. I recognize that. Be merciful to me, the sinner. And Jesus says, this is the man that went to his house justified. Literally, to be rendered innocent. This man went home innocent in the eyes of God and not the other guy. Let me give you a theological term this morning. You need to look it up and... Check it out before your nap this afternoon. He received imputed righteousness. The other guy thought he had a righteousness of his own, and that's really all he had, and it was nothing. This guy recognized, I have no righteousness on my own. I need a gift from God. I need mercy, and I need grace. I need not what I deserve. In fact, I need something I don't deserve. I need God's grace. And Jesus said good words. He went home righteous and then he closes that section by simply saying he who exalts himself will be humbled but he who humbles himself will be exalted just an example of this is jesus himself in the garden praying before the cross what does he say god not my will be done but your will be done men and women in this audience this morning Here's how you live a humble life. Every day you say, God, not my will be done, but your will be done. It's not about me, God. It's about you. What do you want? And Jesus then closes with an illustration. This isn't the parable, this is while he's teaching. Some children start coming. Let me just read this real quickly. Verses 15 and following. As he's teaching, they were bringing even their babies to him so that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they began rebuking them. But Jesus called for them, saying, Permit the children to come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. In the midst of his teaching about humility and prayer, Jesus has an object lesson approach the people were bringing their children for Jesus just to touch them. And the disciples, I guess, had become the self-appointed bodyguards for Christ. And either they thought He was too busy or He was too tired or these children were too insignificant. But whatever, they began rebuking the people. Admonishing them. Go home. And Jesus ends up saying this no permit them to come to me and do not hinder them from coming i remember a time when this rang true for me in a church in shawborough north carolina if you're familiar with where that is i was preaching a revival there and it was the first morning of the revival i was sitting about right here on the pew the youth pastor that i was working with was also the guy leading music and a little girl had walked down the aisle over here and came, I don't know, she was six years old, seven years old, came and stood right here at the front and started looking at all the stuff on the table, and finally the last thing she did was just lifted her hands up like she wanted this guy to come down and grab her. And my first thought was the Pharisee thought. I thought, where are her parents? Why doesn't somebody come and get this girl out of here? And it was like I had the little touch on my shoulder from God. You ever get that? Didn't hear an audible voice. But it was God saying, I wish you were more like that. I wish you were less concerned about what people thought about you. and More concerned about just being in my presence. That that little girl was just wanting somebody to pick her up. Jesus says, if you don't come like that, you can't come at all. What's he saying to this religious Pharisee? Your resume. You need to hit Delete. Because your resume is not childlike at all. It's all about you. What is it about children that are trusting and honest? They haven't learned really to pretend yet. And when they want something, they'll let you know they want it. When they need something, they let you know they need it. They do needy real well. Like the other guy. Who recognized, I don't even deserve to be here. God, if there's any way, would you pour out mercy? On me. Let's pray together. Just between you and God this morning as we bow heads and close our eyes, just just ask this question. God, have I ever come to you like a little child? I talk to some people about their relationship with God, and I hear things like, Well, I've been a member of the church for this number of years, or I grew up in the church. I was raised in a Christian home. All those things are fine. But if you ever come to God as a child and simply acknowledge, I am desperately needy for a Savior. And I'm empty-handed. And God, I just beg for mercy. Father, I pray for people in the room this morning that you would bring us to that point. God, really a point of humility and surrender to say yes god I, i'm i'm empty handed i'm i'm broken before you because all of the stuff that i thought i was doing that counted for something god i was doing it apart from you i might have had good intentions but i was just a pharisee god for others in this place they've they've been there they've been broken and god what a great reassurance to know that's how we're supposed to come God, I pray that you draw people to yourself this morning. Thank you for your word. We pray this in Jesus' name.